Welcome to Game On, the weekly football podcast bringing together seasoned professionals, the male star football writers and a celebrity fan or two. I'm your host, Mark Pugach. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Game On on video. After a series of unacceptable comments, Greg Clark, one of the most powerful men in British sport, has resigned from the FA and from his role at FIFA. Gareth Southgate said he had no choice and that football must be at the front of changes in society. With us to discuss this, the former England manager Sven Joran Eriksson. We've got Danny Murphy, the former England and Liverpool midfielder, and the Daily Mail's chief sports writer, Martin Samuel. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. In particular, a warm welcome to Sven Joran Eriksson. Sven, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Uh, we need to start, Martin, with the administration of the FA and with Greg Clark's resignation this week. And there was a mm. quote which I think summed it up, a grisly compilation of stereotypes. Yeah, it, it was... Um, look, I don't think Greg Clark is racist. I don't think he's sexist. I just think... I don't think he's very good. I, I've never thought he was, he was that good, you know. I mean, I'm not sure he's a smart guy, really. I mean, and... Um, I, and... It, I, I couldn't under. I can't work out how a man can use the word that he, he used. Coloured. It's just outdated. It's outmoded. It's offensive. Everyone's worked it out by now. It hasn't been right for twenty odd years. Alan Hansen apologised for using it nine years ago. And I look. I, I get this generational thing. I get, I get that people say, "Oh, it's it's generational." Some people they, they they're not sure of how language and it's moved on, and that's okay. We we everyone gets that. Everyone understands that. Um, but Greg Clark is the head of an organisation that is meant to be in the vanguard of inclusivity, equality. He should know. He should know. Yeah. I mean, to, to go in front of uh, the parliamentary committee and to use the language that he used, it wasn't so much that it was a suckable offence. It just made his position untenable. You can't hold that position. You can hold other positions and you can say, look, I, I need to be better educated about this and go away and have some training. You can't be the head of the FA and hold those views, have that, use that language, because it just makes the whole organisation look 20 years behind the times and it needs to be modern. It needs to be modern, 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 really. It's also important to say that, although I agree with Martin and he, you know, it's the right thing for him to go and, and now is an opportunity for someone else to come in, it's, it's, it's not fair to tarnish everybody at the FA with the same brush no, because no, there, there are some good people there who I know and... and <laughs> You know, they are trying to do some positive things. Obviously, recently was the Football Leadership Diversity Code, wasn't it? And things like that. Mm, so absolutely. I don't. I think there has been a little bit of, you know, people suggesting that everybody at the FA is in, this, in the same as him. They're not. Danny, what sort of would you like to see to take over? Because Ian Wright said to me on the telly this week, he doesn't trust the FA actually to appoint the right sort of person because of the sorts of people there are in the corridors of power there. Well, I understand that concern. I do understand that concern. I think some clarity around the process is key and then the best person for the job. But, you know, the, the, the process needs to be transparent. And, and right, he's right. There needs to be a fairness about it. 
Um, and, and I'm somebody who's more with the times, you know, more understanding and, and got a, a perception, <laughs> a concept of what's going on in the world at the moment. It's, it's an opportunity for the FA. It's actually a positive thing for now. I think if they get this appointment right, it could really, it could really send the right message. Sven, you know all about the politics of the FA. What was your reaction to what happened <laughs> this week? Well, uh, I didn't have a lot of contact with the chairman of the FA during my time. Very, very little. Uh, I had the contact with the other directors, but not with the chairman. So politics, yeah. When I started the job, I don't think there were a lot of politics. But during my time... We changed other directors uh, a couple of times and it became more and more difficult. But, um, I mean, to be the chairman of the FA, it's a great, great honor for anyone uh, today. And it's a very important job. It's like, uh, like to be in the government, I, I would guess. I think they get more, I think they get more column inches, um, the FA, than any other body other than the government. Um, and Danny's right, Martin, isn't it? This is an opportunity now for the FA through through the wreckage of this week to make a clever. <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose it is. I mean, you look at smart one. Yeah, I mean, look, you. Huh. It's it's an interesting one because because a lot of people would like um, the next FA chairman to be a, a statement about equality and diversity and inclusion, and I can completely understand that. At the same time, um, you you need a candidate who is across a lot of the other issues that are going to affect the FA. Which you know we 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 we're in a, we're in a, a global pandemic um, that is going to have massive financial repercussions. The next chairman of the FA um, has got to be someone who's very smart in that area as well, that knows that side of the business as well. Because anyone who thinks that we get a vaccine in December and this is all over, that's not, you know, there are economic repercussions um, from the last six months that are going to last two years, maybe even more. And the FA needs to be super smart in that area as well. Got to make an appointment that um, can take the FA forward in all ways, in all ways. I think who, Matt, is that, who, who is that person? Well, that's the difficult one, Sven. You know, I mean, <laughs> that, is, that is the difficult one. People are saying, I have one for you. Who? Right, okay. No. Go with it. I, I, no, I've not been in England for a long time, but I mean, during my time there, uh, the guy who was involved in everything, it was David Dean. And he knows yeah. football. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. David Dean. Uh, yeah, I, I guess he, he has a lot of friends and a lot of power, not only in football, but uh, around other matters mm -hmm. in life as well. Yeah. Well, he has contacts, doesn't he? He has the experience. Yeah. I think, but Danny, a final one on this. It, obviously, I think a lot of people say that clearly the FA needs diversity, it needs inclusion, but you don't want to make an appointment just on the benefit of that. That you, what, Sorry, what I'm trying to say is you don't want to... <laughs> in the next appointment that would actually be worse yeah and martin described it very well you know there's so many facets to the job there's so many parts that you need to be um, clued up on to 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 do the job well because ultimately if you put someone in there who doesn't have the experience to do the job all aspects of the job and is a face if you like then they're going to fail 
Um, and, and so, so it's a very difficult one. I mean, if you're talking about candidates, it's a hard one unless you know the intricacies of the job, which I don't. Um, but it, what I'm saying about opportunity is, is, is an opportunity to be transparent with the process and what's needed and how the interview process, that, that's the key. I think everybody wants to see fairness, that's all. Everybody wants to see yeah. equal opportunity. And that, that, that's the main thing that they can do with this for me. I've always thought, I mean, they, I think they're going to do it this time. I've always, when they talk about the Rooney rule, and it's always the Rooney rule to do with um, being a coach and, yeah. and being a manager and stuff. It's never a Rooney rule to do with being the chief exec or the chairman or whatever. <laughs> but they say that this time there will be. They will, Good. It, will, it will be an inclusive list. And I think that's a very, very positive step. Sven, I think most people who played for you have been asked this question over the years. I know you have been as well about the golden generation and why they did well, but maybe they couldn't quite win something. What are your reflections looking back now on why your England team couldn't quite get over the line at a major tournament? Yeah, that's true. That's the fact. And um, I thought, and I think uh, all the players going to Germany 2006, we thought that we could have won the World Cup at that time. I think we were ready. We had a good team, very, very good team. We had an experienced team. And I couldn't see anyone, uh, other countries, better than we at that time. Spain was not uh, what it has, uh, became later. Germany, so on, so Italy won it, but they, they were not a great, great team. So we should have done better at that time, and I'm really sorry that we didn't. But uh, at that time, as usually, penalty shootouts, and uh, maybe, not maybe, I should have taken in a mental coach for preparing penalties. I didn't because I thought we were experienced enough to handle it, and we didn't. You really put it, you put it down to penalties? Well, we lost. Uh, we went out on penalty shootouts uh, in Germany 2006, as we did uh, in Portugal 2004. And I think uh, Portugal, especially in Germany, they were not better than we were, but uh, we were knocked out anyhow. Sven, what do you say to those, and some, a lot of the players who played for you have admitted this, that there was a bit of club rivalry within the England team. I mean, Danny played for Liverpool, particularly Liverpool and Manchester United, I suppose, Arsenal and Chelsea as well. There were very strong characters and very big clubs there, but there was a bit of rivalry which maybe even subconsciously undermined that England team. I'm very sorry to hear it many years after I finished the job. I wished I had heard it or someone had come to me and tell me during my time there because I never noticed it. Uh, but of course, I was not uh, sleeping in the same room as the players or together with them 24 hours. But I never noticed that. I think the, the Liverpools, uh, Arsenal's, uh, Chelsea, United players, uh, I think they went well together. That was my opinion at that time. Ben's right. The reason he didn't see it, because it wasn't really there enough to make a difference. I think it's been indulged a little bit since since it's finished. Um, the only real problem was, I mean, when Gary Neville did the, the celebration, uh, the over-exuberant celebration for United, a few of the boys weren't having Gary. Uh, and he was quite... The, yeah, 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 you know, Cara, Cara and Stevie and that, and we, we, they, they weren't having Gary at all. Whereas Nicky Butt and Scolzi, um, and even Phil, who I'd known since I was 14 when I was in squads with Phil, 
you know, got on great. But he was a good Nick. He was a good character. Scholes, he got on with everyone. Um, I, I think this has been overhyped a little bit. You know, even mm. even Rio, we talked about it. I mean, he, Rio got on with uh, Cara and Stevie and that. You know, they had good banter. There wasn't animosity. And I certainly, even if there was, and someone comes out and says different, I never saw that on the pitch. You know, I mean, you're talking no, about you're, you're, really you're, tiny differences of why yeah. the game, the why Spence team didn't win. You know, you can talk tactically, but not about attitude. Ben, so. when people say to you, Gerard and Lampard playing together, do you roll your eyes? <laughs> and go, not this conversation I do, I do. So what? I should like to know who would I say put on the bench and who would I play? <laughs> you but do I it. Say, you put one on the You'd have to make a tough decision. I oh, did, and I did. I, I did, yeah. and I always defended it. And if you put Paul Scholes to that, of course they should be on the pitch. Gerard Lampard and Scholes. You cannot put one of them in the bench and take in what? Well, so there you, are a lot of well, water players, but the quality of these three players were outstanding, extremely good. And and you said the Hargreaves, yeah, he came and became very very good. Two thousand and Six, I think. Yeah. He was very, very good and he played and he, he was a great player. And there were many great players, but you don't, you don't move uh, Lampard and, and Gerard, no. 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 So the, thing, the thing is, Mark, yeah, yeah, yeah go, the Dan, thing go is, the, the thing is, Mark, the question more, which hindsight is a wonderful thing, the question more is, could we have fit, say you play Scholes, he's sitting and Stevie and Lampard as two ahead of him, and change to a three-man midfield. You might have Beckham as a right wing-back. You'll have to find a left wing-back, which is a problem with Sven. We didn't really have one. I mean, Ashley Cole at one stage, yeah, he could play that wing-back role, but he was playing left-back for his club. So you're, you're putting people in different positions to accommodate the three. And then you'd have to leave, maybe leave what play one striker, leave Heskey out, and Owen like playing with Heskey. There was all these different dilemm dilemmas. I think you can talk about the, you know, the tactics of it, but I do agree with Sven in that, Leaving either one out yeah. wouldn't be an option. You yeah, can't no. leave players of that quality yeah. out. We, so, Sven, do you ever think in about... 2004, in 2004, the, 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 I thought the one that you could have left out was Beckham. Beckham's form in 2004, coming off the back of Real Madrid, wasn't, wasn't there. It wasn't there like it was for Lampard or Gerrard. You could play Hargreaves, you could play Scholes. It would be... One of those five would have to go, and in 2004, the one that would have gone, in my opinion, would have been Beckham. Not all the time, but 2004. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, uh, when you are in that position, it's very difficult to put out a play like him, as it is Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard or Paul Scholes. I mean, those four, that should be the midfield uh, of, uh, of England if you, uh, if you want to play 4-4-2. Four, four, uh, then if uh, players not 100%, uh, anyhow, I think it's difficult to take them out. And, and, um, but who knows? You think we had won the World Cup, uh, won the Euro without Beckham? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Pot potentially, <laughs> potentially, yes. Um, because doesn't really matter now, does it? Let's no, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but if you see, I mean, I wouldn't be. It wouldn't be true because I can remember what I was writing at the time. You can't then have the conversation and pretend I wasn't writing it at the time. Mm. And, and mm. you know, so what I always thought, Sven, and it, it was that with Lampard and Gerard, that they were almost too diligent. And where we didn't 
always have a, a holding midfield player in the middle. They were both sort of looking at each other and they were both sitting back. Everyone thought they bombed forward too much. It wasn't. It was the opposite, I always thought, that they were such diligent players that they were looking at each other almost. Do you go? To, no, they wanted to be the one that, that left the space. So they ended up playing too deep sometimes. We never got the best attacking potential out of them. That's what I always thought. That, that's what I always thought. Sven, were you ever tempted to change the system, as Danny says, maybe to accommodate them all? Uh, no, not really, because I, I think we needed uh, two strikers. And Michael Owen, Heskey to begin with, and then Rooney came, of course. Uh, so I, I always wanted to play two strikers, and I think we did it more or less always. But if you if you take the four midfielders, I, I talk about Beckham, Lampard, uh, Gerard, and, and Scholes, they could easily play together, for sure. You don't need to have wide players on both sides if you play 4-4-2. You can have one wide, and, and uh, then you can use more uh, the fullback on the other side as a wide player. So I... I really didn't see that as a big problem. And the problem with more, many critics uh, about this uh, discussion, Lampard, Gerard, I, I, got, I got sick about it because they have to play uh, for me and uh, I played them. And then, uh, as you say, taking away Beckham or one of these two, if that team has, had been better, I doubt it. I still doubt it. So, what do you make of the current England team? I think England has uh, a very good team because they have, first of all, they have a born goal scorer, which is extremely important when you go to the big tournaments. You must have that if you want to win it. They have uh, experienced players and they have new hungry players, but also they have a lot of pace in the team, a lot of players with, with pace. So if they can defend very, very good, uh, in an organized, very organized way and, and very solid, they will be very dangerous when they win the ball, when they have the chance to make counterattacks because they have the goal scorer, they have the pace. So it's not easy to play against England. I was just thinking, Danny, they've obviously, Harry Kane, as Sven said, is fantastic. They've got a lot of attitudes, but Scholes, Lampard, Gerrard, what they do for one of those in this team. The midfield area is, is yeah, is, is a problem in, in the, at the moment in terms of the balance. Um, you know, he's gone to this three at the back with wing-backs and two, two central midfielders rather than three. I, I, was, I understood why, really, initially, when he first changed, because, A, that's how we did well in the World Cup. But furthermore, the, the, the great attacking play we've got from our full-backs. But actually, it's, it's, it's made us more, it's made us less productive. Um, and I, I think we're probably better going back to a four. I don't know whether he will. The reason I say that is because if you play a four-three-three, you've not just got the three wonderful attacking players. You can get at least one attacking player in the midfield three, if not two, against lesser opposition. The key, the, the key, the key for Gareth Southgate and the key for England, and Sven knows this better than I, is is not being a one-trick pony in terms of the way you play. So you can drop off at times and play counter, or you can press depending on who you're playing against, because England play such extreme levels of, you know, the, the, the levels of opposition are from one extreme to the other. You can play a really poor team one week or one night in the same week where you dominate possession and you have to break a team down. It's got everyone behind. And then five days later, 
you play at a Spain or a Germany who have lots of the ball and you play more on the counter and more <laughs> cautious. You can't, you, at international level, it's very difficult to, to have one strict way of playing because the opposition is so different and varied. So I think Gareth's tweaking it at the moment, but I think in the last five, six games, we, they, they've gone backwards a little bit in terms of creativity. Do you not think, Danny, that, 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 that Gareth changed to go to that three at the black, back when he's not particularly um, confident of, you know, the group that he's got, if you see what I mean? That he, that, that he plays four when he fancies our chances <coughs> and he plays three when he, he wants it a little bit more belt and braces. Yeah, but if, if you play three at the back and then you protect them with two, Sitters as well. Mm, that's what I mean. You, 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 yeah. you become you become too defensive. Actually, yeah. if you get more attacking players in the team, a bit like Liverpool went to City and played the four, because uh, mm. Jurgen Klopp thought, "Bang, I'm going to go yeah. after them because it's our best form of defence." Mm. I, I think our quality lies in our attacking players. I'm not saying you should go out gung ho and play five attacking players every <laughs> game, but I do think we've gone a bit the other way. And the other thing is this for me, and, and this is where I think um, Sven will probably agree, but in his time, he did the same thing. He generally played, he, he, Sven played players in the position generally for England that they did in their team, in their team, especially the back four, you know, your defensive players. If you want a good defence, you play, you play players in the position they used to play in. And we've got the majority, if not nearly all of the England players, apart from maybe Cody, who play in a four Mm. And England are playing a five. Hand on heart, do you think England have got a squad which could go close in the Euros next summer? Or do you think they still have a bit of a gap between them and probably Spain, Germany, France and so forth? You mean England? I think England has a very good chance to, to reach a final. I think so. And uh, who is the best team today? Is it Germany? Is it Spain? I don't see any... Oh, you don't find one favourite to win win the Euro. And uh, you find many, and I think England is one of them. But uh, you have to find the right system, and I think Dennis is completely right. Uh, I think it's important that you find your system and that you stick to that, because uh, football players, they don't really like to change what, from one game to another the system. And it's not that easy. Uh, find the best one and stick to that and and go out. And uh, if you meet Spain and so on, they will keep the ball, but defend well and make counterattacks against them. And yeah. England can do that. And it's England against Scotland in the Euros. Martin, I was with Ali McCoist, uh, <laughs> watching the penalty shootout with him. I mean, it was thrilling for him and for Scotland. It's such a great story that after 22 years, <laughs> they made the championship. Yeah, oh, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And they've diluted the tournament until they can get in there as well, which is, you know, the, the clever way to go about it because it was Scotland who, who pressurised everyone. It was Scotland who brought this 24-team Euro to the uh, to the table. It was a 16-team European Championship. It's very, very elite. They couldn't qualify for it. So they've expanded it and expanded it until they can get in there. And I think it's absolutely marvellous. It's yeah. a very clever thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> but great for football in Scotland. It's what they need now. <laughs> I'm great for football in Scotland. I'm, I'm teasing. Do you know uh, what? Great, it is great, great for football in Scotland. Yeah, it is yeah. great. It's, it's a shame the Irish didn't make it as well. That's yeah. the only thing. Yeah, but it's great for Scottish football, and it's great to see their better players. When you think of the likes of Robertson, McTominay, you know, Liverpool, Manchester United players gaining that experience mm. internationally because it'll it'll yeah. 
cross over into the Premier League. But I, I was I was really pleased watching him for him. You could feel it. You, you know, the relief, couldn't you? Let's finish with player welfare, Danny. Um, Joe Gomez getting injured in training. He played six games in 19 days. Plus, he played most of the Merseyside derby. Gareth Southgate's interview was really interesting before the game where he said, he didn't quite use the word inevitable, but he said in such a concertina calendar for obvious <coughs> pandemic reasons, we're going to get these sorts of injuries. No one was anywhere near him. It wasn't a tackle or anything. No one was any near him when he went down. Are you worried about player welfare this, this particular season? Well, I think, I think you have to be um, worried a little bit in terms of the numbers that we're looking at. They're so, um, they're so up on this time last year, especially fatigue injuries, which is muscle injuries. Yeah. Muscle injuries is, is the most preventative type of injury. Whereas if you're talking about Gomez's injury, I don't know enough about it, but sometimes these things happen. You know, you're talking about knee ligaments and stuff like that, very different. Well, fat fatigue injuries um, are, are up. I think last weekend or the weekend before it was 40-odd percent, which is not, is not right. And I do agree with the five subs should be brought back. It's a different debate, I know, but anything to help protect the players. I don't, I don't know with the Gomez one. I think centre-halves generally can play more games more often. Um, I, I played in teams where we had 55, 60 games a season. The centre-halves didn't ever miss a game because their physical output isn't as big. The numbers tell you that. So maybe I don't, I don't agree with an inevitability about Gomez's injury. I don't understand that coming from Gareth because the centre-halves numbers are never, nowhere near a midfielder. <laughs> the squads are huge. Rotate more with your quality, especially the top end. Make more subs. You know, make the substitutions. Don't keep making one and two subs on 84 minutes if your players are getting tired. Make more substitutions. Be bolder with your squad. And make just 11. get on, you know. Yeah, make 11, Sven, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, West Ham. Well, we we get people Australia. But, but uh, it would be interesting to see what Ferguson would have told me if you put in three games in an international break. Oh, he wow. would have been crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he totally been, the three, the three games is ridiculous. Yeah. The three games the is ridiculous in this because. Of course it is. Of course. One is a friendly. One is a friendly. Unnecessary. The friendlies are totally unnecessary. <clears throat> yeah, totally we all unnecessary. agree. Um, yeah. and, and, but Danny's point is, 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 is I mean, you look at Pep Guardiola, who's one of the leading uh, proponents of the. Uh, uh, the, the five substitutions has actually made less substitutions than yeah. any other uh, coach in the Premier League. I think bar Sean Dyke, I think uh, is the only one. So I think they're, they're either uh, 18th or 19th on, on the list of substitutions. So you're thinking, well, what are you arguing about five substitutions for when you don't even make three? And that's it from Game On. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. That's it from me, Mark Pugach. See you next week for more Game On.